Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. As per usual, before we begin our time together, I want to take a moment, let you know a bit of what's coming up in our community. This week, our youth pastor, Devin Snellgrove, will be starting our new series, Moses the Hesitant Leader. And if you're a part of the group Southview Family Updates on Realm, then you will have already received an update from our succession team. And that team has finished the ministry profile for our future senior pastor, and it has been approved by our Board of Elders. It's currently before the Western Canadian District in our denomination for their approval. In addition to that, we have also formed a search team, and that has been approved by our Board of Elders, and they will lead us through this next phase of posting the position and discerning through the whole application process. As always, you can visit the Succession tab on our website for information as it becomes available. The best way to know what's going on at Southview, like the things I just mentioned, is by checking out our weekly viewpoint. And you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. Or you can go on Realm, if you haven't already, and join the group, Southview Family Updates. And that will make sure that you're always getting the weekly viewpoint in your inbox. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. And you can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. Additionally, you can always find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Hello, everyone. Well, welcome here. Welcome on this nice long weekend. It's nice to see the sun's finally starting to peek through the clouds. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Devin, and I work in our student ministries here at Southview. And I'm excited to share God's word with you today, but I'm also excited to kick off a new series as we jump into something new over these next few weeks leading into the fall. So I figured we'll jump in with something fun. We'll do a little interaction, but it's okay. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or talk to anyone you don't know. I'm just going to ask if you can raise your hand, but not yet. Only raise your hand if you identify with this statement. So raise your hand if you have ever hesitated before. Good. I was really worried I was the only one. So I'm glad that it's not just me. And for some of you that haven't raised your hand, you probably just hesitated in that moment. And for that, I trapped you, and I'm sorry. But it's okay, because hesitation isn't a bad thing. Hesitation is a part of life. Sometimes it's very beneficial. Sometimes it even saves you. And I'll fully admit, I am a more timid person, and I hesitate quite a bit, and in a little bit I'll get into um, some of my fun stories of reasons why hesitation can seem kind of weird or off, because I've had lots of those moments in my life. I'm just a walking awkward story. But hesitation can be good. Like, I like the two examples that came to my mind instantly when I was thinking about hesitation was if you're out walking on a trail, it's the first time you're doing it and you don't know and the ground looks a little slippery and you hesitate before you put all of your weight on your foot just to make sure you have that sure footing because there's nothing worse than falling and then embarrassing yourself with the people that you're with because you've fallen. Or if you're driving 
and you come up to an intersection and you're turning left and the light goes from green to yellow and you see that car that's coming on that just, man- that just started to speed up and you hesitate before going and it's usually a good thing because they go flying through and then you go after them and you avoid a collision. So there's lots of times where hesitation's a very good thing and it's very helpful, but there's also moments in your life where you're like, why did I hesitate? That doesn't seem to make much sense. So one thing you need to know about me is I'm a millennial, which apparently means, and I have did research on this, apparently most millennials hate making phone calls. So I am a hesitator when it comes to phone calls. And to help you understand to the point and the degree that I have taken it to, I had an iPod when I was in high school and it was, the headphone jack on it broke. I had warranty. All I had to do was call a 1-800 number, probably answer two questions and get it fixed. That iPod was dead to me after that day. And it sat in a shelf and it didn't go anywhere till like the last minute before the warranty was up because my mom made the phone call for me. And I was 18 at the time, so that just shows how much I don't like making phone calls. But luckily over time I've overcome it because I've had this one really like heavy hesitation moment in my life. Fast forward a little bit more in life, I was, after my first year of doing Bible school, I was fortunate enough to intern at my home church every single summer after every single year. So I'm working with my youth pastor and it's the first week and he's giving me all of these extensive breakdowns of like, here's these giant pile of books I want you to read over the summer. Here's like, you're going to be running like junior high Sunday school and you're going to be doing all these things. He lays it all out for me and he says, but for the rest of today, I want you to work on this event that's coming up next week. You got to have some outdoor games. You figure out the outdoor games. So I go and I sit down and I'm Googling up like different variations of capture the flag and all that stuff. And I'm having a blast because that's fun stuff and I don't have to call anybody. So then lunch passes and my youth pastor comes in and checks in on me and he hands me this piece of paper. Well, it was a few pieces of paper. And I look at it and it has names, it has phone numbers, and it has whether they've paid for the event or not. And I look at this, I'm like, this is a great attendance list, but the event's next week, so what's this for? And he says, oh, that's your job for the afternoon. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I want you to call all 60 people and talk to them. And then tell them about the event, the drop-off, the pick-up times. If they haven't paid, tell them the ways that they can pay and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, you're joking, right? Because him and I talked about stuff and I was foolish enough to tell him all the things I was afraid of doing as a leader. And he had this fun tendency just to spring it on me last minute so I couldn't worry about it or panic, which always caused great fun moments for me. But he's like, nope, not joking. Start making phone calls. So that afternoon, I called 60 people, and I had great conversations with every person. And afterwards, I remember sitting there and thinking, why did I hesitate? I mean, everyone was happy to hear from me, and we had great conversations. But in that moment, I still hesitated. And I'm sure you've probably seen on the screens, we're talking about the life of Moses, and he's called the hesitant leader. And there's a crucial moment in his life where he does end up hesitating. But we're not going to get to that quite yet today. See, Moses was a very interesting character. He lived a life full of opposites. And I have some of these opposites on the slide that I want to share with you 
today. So it's kind of like on the left-hand side for you, it'll be the one side, and then the other one is the opposite of what's going on. So it says, he was a child of a slave and the son of a queen. He was born in a hut, and then he lived in a palace. He inherited poverty and enjoyed unlimited wealth. He was backwards in speech and talked with God. He was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. He died alone on Mount Moab and appeared with Christ in Judea. No man assisted at his funeral, yet God buried him. So pretty interesting character. And there's lots that we can take from it, and there's lots we can learn from how he led in his leadership style. And that's what we're going to be focusing in on for this series. So for, for tonight, I have the joy of trying to unpack all of Exodus 2 with us. But before we get to it, I want to share just kind of a little bit of pre-context of what's happening. So the nation of Israel is living in the land of Egypt, and they've existed there because of a character named Joseph, who we learned about a, a couple of weeks ago in our While We Wait series. Craig shared about him. But at the end of his life, he ended up bringing his whole family during a time of famine into the land of Egypt, and they stayed. Now, time has gone by. That Pharaoh has passed away. Joseph has passed away. His immediate family has. But the nation of Israel has continued to grow. And they're doing well. And as new pharaohs came over, they kind of looked at this nation, and, he's, and this pharaoh sees this great nation on his land, but they have no ties to him, and he gets nervous. And he gets worried that they're going to join another nation at a time of war and overthrow Egypt. So he decides it's time, and he sits down with his council, and he says, we're going to oppress the Israelites. We are going to set taskmasters over them. We're going to run them day up, day down like slaves. And we're going to put a little bit of fear of the Pharaoh in them. So they will behave and they'll listen. Not the best tactic to, to make relationships, but it was what Pharaoh thought was best. Unfortunately, the nation kept growing. And if you read in Exodus chapter 1, it actually says a few times that they kept growing in size and in strength. So the threat of this nation just kept growing in Pharaoh's eyes. So he says, okay, let's take it one step farther. He goes to the midwives of the Hebrew people and says, when babies are born, if it's a girl, it can stay alive. If it's a boy, you have to kill it on the spot right there. A little scary. So then the midwives, they fear the Pharaoh, of course, but they also have come to understand the God that we worship, and they feared God far more, so they didn't do that. And the nation continued to grow. So then the Pharaoh puts another rule over place, and this goes out worldwide and says, if you have birthed a boy that is a Hebrew, he must be cast into the Nile, thus getting rid of him. And that's what leads us into this section of Scripture that we're going to be looking at over this time together. Exodus chapter 2, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're going to be looking at snippets, little two or three verse sections throughout the entire chapter itself. But I do strongly encourage you to read through the book of Exodus during this time as we learn about Moses, because there's a lot of really good stuff in there. And I'm sure there's going to be good stuff that we can't always get to over these five weeks, because there's a lot to unpack. So we'll kick things off with Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And friends, this is the word of God. So it says, Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. 
When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So here we have this classic love story. Guy meets girl, they like each other, they get married, they have a kid and they have to get rid of it or hide it because the Pharaoh wants it gone. Okay, maybe not the most classic of love stories, but it's a traditional start. Moses is born. And because Moses is born and Moses was a boy, there was an expectation of what was going to happen to him. Now, I can only imagine the fear that this family had as she became pregnant. That should be a time of joy. That should be a time of excitement. But there's a little bit of that fear because they don't know what's going to happen. And if they are seen with a boy, the boys can be taken from them. So as they gave birth, it was sadly a boy in that moment. And they were scared. So they tried to hide a baby. I've never been a parent, but I, don't, I know babies make noise. So hiding a baby for three months, that's pretty impressive. But eventually it gets to the point where it's impossible to hide the baby. It's impossible. Like they just, they just can't. So the wife does what technically was asked of her. She did cast the baby into the Nile. She just put him in a basket and then made the basket waterproof and then put the baby in amongst the reeds to hide it. But she did what, was she, what she was supposed to do giving Moses the best chance that he could possibly have to survive out of that moment. So now it all just falls down on who is going to find the baby. Well, the best possible option found the baby. That was a daughter of Pharaoh. She was heading down to the Nile with some of her servants. Moses' sister was like off in the distance kind of watching to see what was going on. And as they come up towards the basket, we learn that the baby is crying. So they see it and they find it. And in Exodus chapter two, verses six to eight, I want to highlight this for us. It says, she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and it, she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. So Pharaoh's daughter finds this baby, and I'm sure in the moment when they found the basket, there's a little bit of relief, but there's also a little bit of nervousness. Because what is she going to do? I mean, she's the daughter of the Pharaoh. She knows the rules. Is she going to follow along? Is this the end of Moses? She sees the baby. She sees the baby's ethnicity, that it's a Hebrew child. And instead of being like, cast it into the Nile, she feels sorry for it and rescues it. And the cool thing was is that it actually ended up being Moses' mom that was able to take care of Moses until he was ready to be given back to Pharaoh's daughter. And she actually got paid. So she got paid to raise her own kid for a little bit, which is pretty cool despite everything that was going on around. So she raises the kid, brings it to Pharaoh's daughter. She names him Moses. And then from that point, Moses goes from slavery to royalty. He is now a nephew of the prince or of the of the pharaoh. And then in Exodus chapter 2 verse 11 to 12 it says this. So one day after Moses had grown up he went out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. 
He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that way, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So as you'll notice as we work through this chapter, there's highlights of Moses' life, but it doesn't get through every detail. It's not like, and on his fifth birthday, he got a bicycle. Like there's none of that. It's just the key highlighting points of Moses' life as he's growing up. So now it says that he's fully grown and he's understood where he's come from. He's now experienced what it's life like to live as a rich person and have that lavish and all that extra stuff. And he wants to understand his people more. So he goes out and he sees where they are. He sees what they're going through. He sees the struggles of the life that they have as slaves in the land of Egypt. And while he's out, he sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. Now, I'm sure that's not an uncommon sight because they don't necessarily treat slaves the best at that time at all. But Moses sees this and looks at the injustice of it and says, you know what, now it's time. I'm going to take action. And in his own ability and his own power and his own strength, he rushes the Egyptian and kills him and then buries the body in sand. Going home, he probably felt like he did something right and he's thinking like, this, this is, this is going to help these people, all of that kind of stuff. But you'd think, you know, after killing someone, you'd lay low for a little bit. You know, maybe hide for a couple of days, make sure no one else actually heard. No, the next day, Pharaoh's, or not Pharaoh, next day Moses is out amongst his people again. And this time he sees two Hebrew people fighting. And as one strikes the other, he steps in again to stop them. And he goes, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And in a perfect world scenario, the person that hit the other person would be like, wow, I can't believe I hit him. I'm so sorry. And would apologize. The person would forgive them. They'd have a great hug. And they'd go off to do something fun together, like playing checkers. But we don't live in a perfect world. And it definitely wasn't a perfect world in that situation. So what usually happens when someone's really angry and someone steps in? The anger turns. So this person turns their anger towards Moses and says, why do you, like, who are you? Like, why do you have authority over me? It was never given. And he says, what are you going to do to me? Kill me like you killed that Egyptian? Uh-oh. Said no one was there to see, but clearly somebody saw. And if word's gotten out to this point, it's only a matter of time before Pharaoh hears about it. Now you think, well, he's royalty. Royalty can get away with it. No, he was probably the least liked nephew because of his ancestry. So Moses realizes in that moment, he's like, I got to get out of here. And he takes off and he runs. And it's good because in verse 15, it actually points out that Pharaoh heard what was done and he was planning on killing Moses for his actions. So Moses flees to the land of Midian and more time passes. And over that time, a couple of things happen and they're highlighted near the end of Exodus 2. First of all, Moses joins a new family out of him joining that family, he gets a wife, birth of his first child. Second thing, the Pharaoh that was over the land at that time actually passes away and a new one takes his place. And thirdly, the nation of Israel starts to cry out. They've had enough. It's been too hard for too long. And they cry out for help. And I want to share the last two verses of Exodus 2, verse 24 and 25 with you. 
It says, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So the Israelites started to cry. They cried out. They wanted something different. They wanted to change. And God heard them. Those cries weren't in vain. And because God heard them, he remembered his promise that he had with Abraham, with Isaac, and Jacob. And I'm sure he knew it before, but it's written down that he remembered it. And he looks at these people and says, this isn't going to be your forever. This isn't the way things are going to be. Change is coming. And that's how the end of Exodus 2 wraps up. They've got a new pharaoh in charge, and the Israelites are not going to stay in slavery forever. Change is coming. Now, that's all of the chapter, and I'm sure you're sitting there thinking, well, where was the hesitation? Well, like I said before, it's coming. It's coming soon. But during this time of Moses' life, God was working in him. God was preparing him. God was prepping him. God was equipping Moses. And there's three reasons why Moses was the one that was being equipped to be the leader. And I wanted to share those with you this evening. So the very first one is Moses had to be equipped by God. He really was not the right guy to be the leader. Like, in, you sit down and look at it, he, he just didn't stand a chance. I mean, as I read through Exodus 2, and I've read through it many times, both in preparation for this sermon, but then also in my own personal life, I never once, even on the first time reading it, thought, oh, this Moses guy, he's going to be a great leader one day. He's a little bit of a screw-up. I mean, he gets in this position of power and authority, and he sees his people suffering, and instead of doing something to make their life better, he says, I'm going to kill that guy. And in doing that, he loses his position and his power. And he becomes enemy wanted number one. If people saw him, if he came back into, the, back into Egypt, he would have been taken and executed. He needed to be equipped by God because there was no way that Moses in his own strength and his own ability was going to be able to lead a nation to something greater. So Moses had to be equipped. Secondly, no one in that time would have thought of Moses as being the leader. I mean, there's two people that's brought up in this section of scripture. There's the Egyptians, and then there's the Hebrews or the Israelites. And the Israelites had absolutely no respect for Moses whatsoever. I'm sure a lot of them were frustrated with him because he had a life far greater than they had ever experienced. But also, when he, when he did kill that Egyptian, and he hid the body, if they had respect for him, if they were looking to him to be a leader, they would have lied for him. They would have tried to cover up for him because they know if Pharaoh wants him gone, that's the end of, of him having a chance. So they had no respect for him, and all the Egyptians were looking at Moses as, this guy's a problem, and we need to get rid of him. So when he left, when he ran away, no one was like, man, I really miss that guy. Nobody was looking for Moses to come back. No one expected him to be the leader that was going to create change. Which brings us to our third point. It's that God uses and likes to use the unlikely. 
Moses and every means possible was the unlikely option to be the leader. He was the unlikely option to take that next step in helping free the Israelites from slavery amongst the Egyptians. But God works in his own ways. And he likes to use those who are unlikely so we can do things for his glory. And what I love about the story of Exodus is it's not the telling of our hero Moses. It's the telling of our deliverer, God, who delivered those people despite everything that they had going on. God's the hero in the story. It's not Moses. And he will use anyone for those Moments to bring glory to God's name. He'll use anyone and he will equip anyone for those moments. See, in that moment in history, God was preparing Moses for something more. And spoiler alert, I'm not going to go any farther. So I guess there's no spoiler. You'll have to come back next week. But now what about for us? I mean, I don't think anyone here was put into a basket and set in the Nile and amongst reeds. And I don't think anyone here is looking at a a nation that needs to be saved, but maybe there are. But those are extreme situations. So what can us, the everyday people, take out of this passage? It's very easy to read something like Exodus 2 and just move past it and be like, that's a great story, and keep going until you get to a point that, like, hits you at the heart. Well, this is a very simple reminder that comes out of this chapter. And that's that God also is equipping us. God is working in us as well, just as much as he was working in Moses in that moment. Now, it might not be for the same reason or for the same thing, but God is working and equipping us for times to step out and to lead, times to step out and care, times to help other people along or bring people to come to know Jesus. And the best part is, is if you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. So you have God in you and it can help encourage you and equip you and give you the confidence in those moments, even if you don't think you're the right person for it. Even if you're like, there is absolutely no shot. I was the option. There's no reason why I would ever be picked for this. God might say, yeah, I'm going to use you for it. And it's our job, just like it was Moses's, to have faith in that moment to step out and trust that God's there with you, that he's going to, that he has equipped you, and that he's going to use you for his glory. And then we, all we have to do is just step out and say, okay, God, no matter how scary it is, no matter how much we don't feel like, we are the right person. So now for some of us right now, that you might be sitting here and you might be thinking, Okay, I kind of know there's something God's been laying on my heart, something I'm supposed to do, some, someone I'm supposed to talk to, a conversation I'm supposed to have, uh, an encouragement I'm supposed to give, someone I'm supposed to help, or maybe a career change, or it could be a wide variety of things. And you've been kind of feeling God, you know, saying like, you need to do this. And you've been like, well, I have 50,000 reasons why I shouldn't and why I'm the wrong person for it. If that is you today, I want to encourage you to take that step out and know that God is with you and that he's equipping you for what is next. And if you're like a lot of people and you think, well, I don't think God's equipping me for anything. I'm just an average person doing average person things. Well, we're all called to take part in the Great Commission. 
And God is equipping us to impact other people's lives by living for Christ. So know that he is there, even if you hesitate and don't think that you're the right person for it. I mean, the series is called Moses the Hesitant Leader, not Moses the Overconfident Leader, or not Moses the Perfect Leader. It's because God will use the unlikely for great things, and all you have to do is be ready to step out and say, I'll do it. So let's be a group of people that lean into God's equipping, that lead into his calling and have faith to take action. And even if you hesitate, it's okay, but don't let that hesitation stop you. You got to move through it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for Exodus 2. We thank you for Moses. We thank you that you used him for something absolutely wonderful. And we thank you that we have it recorded in our scripture so we can learn from it. God, I pray that we would be people that trust in your equipping, that we would be people that step up and step out when you call us. God, may you just keep working in us. May you keep changing us. May you keep equipping us so we can be your hands and feet in this world and we can show others the love that you have. Pray this in your great and heavenly name, Lord. Amen. So thank you for joining us today. Know that this isn't the end. We have an awesome space out there in the Cardo Cafe. Go out, meet someone new, connect with someone you haven't seen in a little while, and just have a great time. But would you stand with me as I share a passage of benediction? Romans 15 verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. God is in us, he is working through us, and he is equipping us. And we can hold on to that hope in every day and every action that we take. And we'll do this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.